You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Beltway Beef podcast. This is Ashley, and today I am joined by a brand new voice on the podcast, Sigrid Johannes. And Sigrid is the newest government affairs team member at NCBA and the Public Lands Council PLC. Sigrid, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ashley. Excited to be here. Sigrid, you have really dove headfirst into a lot of different issues on the natural resources and, and federal land side. But one of those biggest issues is the Endangered Species Act. So can you just give us an overview of what you've been working on there and and what PLC and NCBA work on in tandem on a lot of those issues? Absolutely. So the ESA has a huge impact, not just on agricultural producers, but also on other resource users who we work with closely, like timber and some other folks who are helping to to manage the natural resources on our federal lands. Uh, Some of the species that have been top of mind and at the top of the news cycle over the past few weeks this spring uh, have been gray wolves. And uh, there was also just a few days ago an interesting decision out of the Northern District of California uh, regarding the bi state sage grouse. Uh, so, those are two of the species that NCBA and PLC work with quite closely uh, together on and have been working on for many years. But the crux of our argument hasn't changed, and it really boils down to states are the ones who are best positioned to appropriately manage uh, species, wildlife species. And when you have a federal listing, when you have either a threatened or endangered designation under the Endangered Species Act, it puts into place a lot of one-size-fits-all restrictions across the range of the species that don't yield good results for producers on the ground, they don't yield best results for the species, and they don't really uh, help conserve habitat in a meaningful way. All of that work tends to happen in a voluntary basis on the ground, led by local stakeholders and communities, and that's what uh, we want to see happen in every case where there's a wildlife you know, uh, situation that needs to be managed. And I feel like that message is no different um, for this next species that you have spent quite a bit of time on lately. Sigurd, let's talk about bats. I would love to. I did not think I would be talking about bats quite so much at any point in my life, but I'm thrilled that we are. Uh, So the northern long-eared bat is a species that uh, is now up in the docket for a potential uh, potential endangered listing. They are currently listed as threatened under the ESA. Uh, And a few weeks ago, Fish and Wildlife Service opened up a proposed rule uh, to upgrade it to endangered, and they opened their comment period for that, which just closed uh, two days ago. So NCBA and PLC got together with a group of other uh, natural resource users, agricultural producers, uh, and small business interests, and put together comments on that proposed listing uh, opposing it. And the reasons that we opposed it are are many. Uh, so I'll just run through a list there. First of all, uh, the northern long-eared bat is declining in numbers due to a disease, a fungal disease called white nose syndrome. It impacts many species of bat. It, this is not something new and it's something that's been studied quite a bit, uh, but it's not caused by humans and it's not being spread through the activities that this listing would prohibit, agricultural and resource using activities. Uh, White nose syndrome impacts bats uh, when they are hibernating in caves, essentially. Uh, but the the listing would put restrictions on 
forest management activities that take place in the other half of the year, April to November, when bats are roosting in trees. So just to give some context on, on where the bats are at and what's going on with them. So the range of the species identified in this proposed listing is 37 states. That's another area where we raised some objections because that is uh, including a lot of states where there's actually no documented population of northern long-eared bats. So it's unnecessarily catching up a lot of areas in a wide net. And then getting more into the meat of why we objected to that, there are a lot of issues uh, with the forest implications and particularly the wildfire implications of this kind of listing. Among other things, the proposed rule would prohibit tree clearing from April to November of any uh, forb, shrub, or tree that has a diameter greater than three inches at breast height. That includes pretty much every plant you're going to find out uh, in, a, in a mature forest. So that is a significant problem when it comes to reducing wildfire risk, uh, reducing fine fuels, everything from clearing trees for a construction project, an infrastructure project, to clearing trees that have fallen on your fence line, on your ranch. All of those kinds of activities would be prohibited uh, due to the you know, potential for disruption to bats that are roosting in those territories. It seems like to me in a year where we are talking about one of the most severe droughts, we, you know, intense conditions in the West right now, um, causing catastrophic wildfires. It seems like to me we would want active land management and not more bureaucratic red tape on regulations. You're absolutely right. And it's especially galling, again, when you remember that prohibiting these activities to actively manage these forests and reduce the risk of wildfire is not going to prevent white nose syndrome from affecting this particular species of bat. So it's really a situation where you're putting a stop to a lot of really good and crucial and urgent work for little to no gain or reward for the actual species or for the habitat where they roost. Another thing to keep in mind with this is it exposes kind of a flaw with the ESA in general, which is that you can have a 4D rule that basically creates exemptions for these kinds of activities uh, when a species is threatened. And when I say these kinds of activities, I mean activities that are sustainable expected to result or have the potential to result in lethal take of the species, but there's no such equivalent once a species gets bumped up to endangered. So you lose that nuance and you lose that you know, recognition that the human activity is not the driver behind the decline of the species, you lose that once it gets bumped up. So again, it's a one size fits all approach that really doesn't work in the sort of urgent situation that you're describing. And you're absolutely right. There's catastrophic wildfire impacting, you know, many, many Western states and even moving into the Midwest and the Upper Plains. And this is just going to exacerbate the problem. Sigurd, I think you gave a great overview of what the issue is, um, how PLC and NCBA are fighting for producers to be able to use their expertise to actively manage land without um, threat of too much regulation or just red tape that they have to go through. Um, but can we just quickly talk about what is the path forward here? For sure. I think that one of the biggest misconceptions that we fight back against when it comes to ESA issues is that ranchers and cattle producers across the country are not invested in species conservation. And that's absolutely not true. Federal lands ranchers in particular are providing millions of acres of habitat for all 
all kinds of wildlife species that depend on that healthy range, that depend on that source of forage, that depend on those migration corridors, that depend on water sources. So this is very tangible work that our producers do every day to ensure healthy wildlife populations. But what needs to happen at the federal level is a recognition that A, the people on the ground know what's happening best. They are the closest to the issue. They have the best handle on what will help a species and also just what the current status of the species actually is. Um, as we've seen with the northern long-eared bat, that sometimes is not an accurate perception once you get up to federal agencies sitting here in Washington, D.C. Um, but also just putting those people in the driver's seat and letting there be locally led voluntary efforts. We've seen over the years with numerous species that those are your best bet to increase numbers and conserve habitat in a healthy way. And again, the third thing, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it again, but wildfire has to be a part of every conversation we have when it comes to species or land management. It's a real crisis. It is impacting numerous, numerous producers, but also an increasing number of people outside of agriculture who are living in the wildland urban interface and some of these in between spaces across the West. It is a really urgent economic, environmental, and public health crisis. And we really need to keep that in mind when we're weighing up these conversations about species management. Well, thank you, Sigrid. We really appreciate you taking the time to join the podcast and uh, walk us through uh, what is a very complicated issue. Thanks so much, Ashley. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.